but they came from the other side of the wall, from the street. Free people were talking out there, and their heels clacked on the pavement. When I think they charge fifty francs a seat, it was a woman's voice. Yes, but they have expenses, came a man's voice. The prisoner felt his way along the wall, stopped because his foot had encountered a stone, listened, so way-faced, cutting such an odd figure with those interminable arms which dangled loosely, that if this had been happening anywhere else, people would have just assumed he was a drunk. The small knot of men was waiting less than fifty metres from the invisible prisoner in a recess of the wall near a door on which was written, Bursar's Office. Detective Chief Inspector Maigret had chosen not to lean against the blackened brick wall. With his hands thrust into the pockets of his overcoat, he was standing so squarely on his strong legs, so absolutely still, that he gave the impression of lifeless bulk but at regular intervals there came the dragging sizzle of his pipe. His eyes were watchful, but he couldn't quite eradicate the apprehension in them. A dozen times at least he must have nudged the shoulder of Camelio, the examining magistrate, who would not stay where he'd been put. Camelio had come directly from a social engagement in evening dress, his thin moustache neatly trimmed and with more colour in his cheeks than usual. Close to them, with a scowl on his face and the collar of his coat turned up, stood Monsieur Gassier, governor of the Sante, who was trying to distance himself from what was happening. There was a slight chill in the air. The sentry by the gate stamped his feet, and his breath rose in the air like thin columns of steam. The prisoner, who avoided areas that were lit, could not be seen. But however careful he was to make no noise, he could still be heard moving around, and the onlookers were able, after a fashion, to follow his every movement. After ten minutes, the examining magistrate shuffled nearer to Maigret and opened his mouth to say something, but the inspector gripped his shoulder with such strength that the magistrate desisted, sighed, and from a pocket mechanically took a cigarette, which was snatched from his hands. All three had understood. Number eleven did not know the way, and at any moment might stumble into a patrol and they could do nothing about it. They could hardly lead him by the hand to the place at the foot of the wall where the parcel of clothes had been left for him and where a knotted rope dangled. At intervals, a vehicle drove past in the street outside. Sometimes there were also people talking, and their voices echoed in a particular way in the prison yard. All the three men could do was to exchange glances. The look in the governor's eyes was bad-tempered, sarcastic, fierce. Camelio, the examining magistrate, was aware of his own growing anxiety and the apprehension, too. Maigret alone did not flinch, his strength of will ensuring that he remained confident. But if he had been standing in a strong light, his brow would have been observed to glisten with sweat. When the half-hour struck, the man was still dithering, all at sea. But one second later, the three watching men were all startled and felt the same shock, They had not heard the release of breath. They had rather sensed it. They could feel the feverish haste of their man, who had just stumbled over the parcel of clothes and seen the rope. The footsteps of the sentry continued to mark the rhythm of passing time. The magistrate took his opportunity and hissed, "'You're sure he?' Maigret turned such a look on him that he fell silent. The rope twitched. They made out a lighter stain against the dark wall, the face of number eleven, who was using his powerful wrists to haul himself up. It took an age, it took ten, twenty times longer than they'd anticipated, 
and when he reached the top it looked as if he'd given up because he had completely stopped moving. They could make him out now, or at least his silhouette, lying flat on the top of the wall. Was he paralysed by vertigo? Was he hesitating about dropping down into the road? Were there passers-by or a courting couple crouching in some recess who were stopping him? Camelio snapped his fingers impatiently. The governor muttered, I don't suppose you need me any more. The rope was hauled up so that it could be dropped down the other side. The man disappeared. If I didn't have such confidence in you, Detective Chief Inspector, I swear I'd never have let myself be mixed up in anything like this. All the same, I still think Urtin is guilty. And what if he manages to get away from you? What then? Will I see you tomorrow? was all that Maigret asked. I'll be in my office any time after ten. They shook hands without saying anything more. The governor held out a hand grudgingly, and as he left, muttered,